it's really difficult to talk about the sort of end of the 60s linchpin, which people debate was, you know, was it Manson, was it Altamont, without referencing <laughs> the, the latest Tarantino film, which I've seen a couple of times. I take it you have not. I have not yet. Uh, one of the strong themes in that film that in, in many ways is kind of surprisingly sentimental and kind of earnest for Tarantino is this notion that the 60s were, in addition to being pocked with all these kind of, you know, fashionable mementos that the dress and the drugs and the music, that it had an innocence to it that was really genuine and mm. that, that was uh, definitely real and not imagined and not something that, you know, is sort of made up after the fact in that uh, sort of, you know, apocryphal way, but, but really existed and it was destroyed. It was taken away. You know, we've talked about it. It's been written about Joan Didion very famously wrote about the Manson family or the Manson murders ending the, the peace and love movement. Mm. It, you know, I'm paraphrasing. And there's but, that uh, documentary that's called Charles Manson, the man who killed the sixties. Sure. Yeah. Well, yeah. yeah, not to put too fine a point on it. Exactly. But you know, I suspect the stones event was at the time, I think it was probably more widely reported because it was on the heels of Woodstock. And because it was such the, a flip side of the Woodstock experience I mean, one would have to go through, you know, a newspaper service that count, you know, one of those headline clipping service to see which event got more national news. Obviously, the death of Sharon Tate was a big national story, but the uh, but the Stones event was um, obviously a huge gathering. It was also in San Francisco, but it was it was, uh, you know, the, the band at the height of its fame. It's hard to imagine that pound for pound, that story didn't get more airtime, newspaper time, mm -hmm. re reached more, you know, corners of the country than people who, you know, necessarily knew about or continued to follow the Manson. I'm sure everyone got the headline on August 9th or 10th, but after that, yeah. I suspect uh, outside of big cities, it wasn't a daily story, whereas Altamont seemed to linger because the you know the band continued to record and do interviews and all that kind of stuff and the movie um, when Gimme the, shelter and, came out right just when the memory or the news may have started to fade you have the movie come out which generated a great deal of interest and and i got nominated may have won the documentary oscar and you know so uh, you know i i i think they uh they share they have a lot in common in a weird way, it's almost more interesting to think about the proximity of Woodstock and the Tate LaBianca murders because, um, uh, the, you know, they they were you know literally you know days apart, mm -hmm. and and whereas one is sort of you know popularly fingered as the death of the '60s, the other is often celebrated as the sort of zenith of the '60s, the the kind oh, of yeah. You know the the pinnacle of it, the 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 absolute realization of it. To have that many people, you know, for the most part, peacefully hanging out, um, seemed at the time and remains miraculous and just like kind of unfathomable. Mm -hmm. Especially when you factor in the the conditions and and you know the the the, the misery factor was extremely high. Oh, so yeah. the propensity yeah. for violence would have seemed 
almost a certainty and it just didn't really seem to happen. So I don't know. I mean, I wasn't there. Who knows? Maybe it was, uh, maybe it's been, uh, you know, rose colored since then, but, um, but you know, I don't know. The presentation of it seems pretty unflinching. You know, we know there was, we know it rained. We know there was mud. We knew there weren't adequate facilities. We know people were starving. We know people were freaking out. I mean, we know all that stuff and still it remains this sort of, you know, paragon of, uh, of the peace and love movement. So I don't know if, if, if it's really true that, you know, the, the, the Manson thing, I think at the time, I think in retrospect, it feels that way more than it probably did at the time. I think. Oh yeah. Yeah. Also, when you're talking about Altamont though, yeah, you know, it, it was the antithesis of Woodstock for a variety of reasons. I did a lot of research about that because Melvin Belli, the attorney who is linked to the Zodiac case, helped the Rolling Stones find the location for their show at Altamont. And is featured in the movie. And is featured in the movie Gimme Shelter. And then after the killing at Altamont, where one of the Hells Angels was implicated and the owner of Altamont was uh, facing some charges, Melvin Belli helped out and tried to help them. And so I did a lot of research about that, but it was recently that I read a book about Altamont that I think is fairly new. And I wish I could remember the author's name right now, but it was terrifying to read the things that happened that night that I didn't know about. There was a man who was killed there. And I believe his name was Meredith Hunter. And he was a person who he pulled a gun and some people said he was lunging towards or pointing it towards Mick Jagger. And one of the hell's angels jumped in and stabbed him to death in front of everybody. And it was caught on film and it's in the movie, and you can see Mick Jagger and the rest of the band sitting there horrified by watching this. But everybody kind of had a sense that something was going to go wrong because of the way that the whole event was planned. Uh, the Stones were not the only people that were playing there. I believe it was the Grateful Dead, uh, Jefferson Airplane, and a couple of other groups. And violence broke out throughout the evening. I think at one point, uh, was it Marty Ballard from one of the bands was like punched out and unconscious on the stage. And it was largely because somehow the Hells Angels were chosen as the security for this event in exchange for large quantities of beer. Right. (laughs) Which I don't know why someone didn't see the potential problem there in the first place. But you take a group of violent people and you load them up on booze. Eventually, things start going wrong. Meredith Hunter was only one of the people who was killed during that event. There was another man who I believe was beaten to death or was run over with a car or something that night. But it was total chaos. And afterwards, it was worse, too, because they were trying to hold somebody accountable and they had to get this film footage to find out who was actually involved and people were lying to protect other people and everything. And I believe Alan Pissarro, the person who was charged with killing Meredith Hunter, I believe he was eventually acquitted and said that he was acting essentially in self-defense by defending Mick Jagger from this person with this gun. Wow. But well, it, I, just, just before I forget, to the extent you're, you're digging into this or, or looking at it, for some reason, there I never got around to watch. When you consider my Rolling Stones fanaticism, I never got around to the documentary Crossfire Hurricane until recently. And it's, I think it's a 2012 or 2014 documentary on the Stones. In it, there's a section on Altamont, and suddenly you're presented with a very similar kind of uh, dynamic as was in Gimme Shelter, which is 
in Gimme Shelter, the band members are all sitting around a recording studio sort of reflecting on what's happened. And you can see the shell shock on them, and they're clearly disturbed and, and freaked out by this event. And your takeaway is that they're mortified that a, that a human being was killed at one of their shows. And you're, mm-hmm. you're, you're, you, you, you can see how responsible and guilty they feel. When you watch the, seg- the, uh, the almost an echo segment on Crossfire Hurricane, where the band now, with the benefit of years, and again, this is 2012 or so, with years and you know, decades of perspective, you realize that they were what you saw in Gimme Shelter was not simply their guilt or, or horror that someone had been killed. It was the fucking PTSD of how close they felt oh, they yeah. to being killed. Yeah. And when they describe it, dude, when they go walk you through the fact that as soon as the show started, they realized they were uh, that if they kept playing. Some of that music was inciting people because it was associated with Vietnam and mm-hmm. violence and shit like that. That if they kept playing, someone was going to get killed. And if they stopped, they stopped playing, playing, someone yeah. was going to get killed. And, yeah. and if they stopped playing, it was liable to be them. Yeah. So they were literally like fucking trapped, like imprisoned in this situation where they realized, I mean, they were looking out of this seat. Can you imagine? Can you contemplate? Feeling like you go, was it half a million fucking people showed up to that thing? Some crazy number. Yeah. And they're all like in the palm of your hand and you feel like, you know, the fate of countless lives may rest in your next action. I mean, that's what you see. That's what you don't realize you're seeing in that footage in Gimme Shelter is young men who just look right into the abyss and can't believe they survived. That's really what that is. Well, everybody who was there earlier in the day, I think it was when the Grateful Dead got off the helicopter, they were like, this is not right. There's something wrong here. When Melvin Belli got off, and you can see him in the film walking around, he's looking like, what am I doing? Why? Yeah. How did I get into this? And the event, of course, became one of the most notorious events at that time. The fact that it was the Rolling Stones, the fact that it was San Francisco, which was the focal point of the peace movement and the hippie movement, the fact that it was considered part of the counterculture, the whole concert in the first place, it all sort of uh, contributed to this idea that the great social experiment known as flower power had come to an end. It had failed. Yeah. yeah. And Manson was just the capper on that. Do you know offhand uh, the date of Altamont relative to Tate LaBianca? I believe that Altamont was like December 6th. Right, right, like right. That. Okay. Yeah, whereas Woodstock was in August, was in the same month as as yeah. Uh, yeah. as Tate LaBianca. But he, 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 so so Manson wasn't the the capper; he was more like the the aperitif. Well, I say capper <laughs> because the crimes happened in August, but he wasn't captured in August. It was late 1969, if I remember correctly, when uh, Susan Atkins talking about all this in jail eventually led police to discover what had actually happened and who was responsible. And then when that news broke, it was just unbelievable. You know, it was just because people had thought that the Sharon Tate murders and the LaBianca murders were somehow drug related or that they, the police even at one point were saying they weren't related at all, that the two crimes were committed by different people. So when the family was identified as the killers, it wasn't just, Oh my God, this was a crime spree by, you know, these were all linked and everything, but there had never been anything like this deranged family of hippies in the media like that before, let alone being led by some sort of messianic figure like Charles Manson, who, like him or not, was very charismatic at the time. 
And so that's kind of what I mean is that his crimes happened earlier in the year, but by the time he showed up is where he kind of represented the end of things, where things had gone. Well, this is interesting. The uh, I'm just looking at our own very favorite, CielloDrive.com. The first headlines that indicated that they had found the killers was December 2nd of mm-hmm. 1969. How about that? Yeah. If I remember correctly, Charles Manson, Bruce Davis, and a bunch of other people were arrested on October 12th, the day after the Zodiac killed a cab driver in San Francisco. And that was for, I believe it was for vandalism, vandalizing like farming equipment or dune buggies or something. An earth mover, yeah. The earth mover, yeah. And they were in jail for that. And some of them were even released. But Susan Atkins was kept in custody and started talking to, what's her name, Uh, Ronnie Howard. And their police began investigating when Ronnie Howard pinked on her. And then slowly over time, they were piecing together, oh, my God, it was what she's saying is true. They did commit this crime, and then they were linked with these other people. So it took a long time to figure out exactly what happened and who was involved. Uh And it wasn't until some of them started, like you were saying, some of them were ready to testify and confessing. Or even if they were still loyal to Manson, they were bragging about it and saying, oh, yeah, I was there or so-and-so was there with me. And that's when they finally started to piece together things. But the whole story was emerging slowly over time. And it wasn't until the end of 1969 where the news broke that it was this crazy family that was responsible for this. And, of course, we all know that they dominated the news for years after that. I mean, the the trial and everything after that is just it kept getting worse and worse. And, of course, some of the listeners may not know that, you know, that wasn't the end of people dying. There were some other people loosely connected to the family that died. But, you know, when I was a kid, you know, I don't remember anything particular, but I have vague memories of hearing about all this going on. I think I was like 10 or something like at that time. And I knew about Manson. I knew he existed, but I didn't really understand anything about it. But it was shortly after that when I saw the TV miniseries. And if you've watched that miniseries, it really does capture that feeling that the arrival of Charles Manson on the scene was the end of something. And that it wasn't necessarily because of there was any truth to that. It was because of the perception of Charles Manson and his family as hippies. So, you know, there's a lot of confusion about what Manson really believed in or what his uh, followers believed in, whether or not they really believed in the race war that he wanted to create, allegedly. But this whole period of time, when you look at it on a calendar, you know, like a timeline, it's stunning to think about. It's like almost something every day. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's almost like uh, things are now. I mean, it's it's like well, yeah. things, things haven't been like this since then. Yeah, I, I I agree. I think in the time between the reports of the murders and the announcement of the suspects that they had rounded up in the Manson situation, it probably was again outside of L.A., New York, Chicago, etc pretty quiet with respect to the the case yeah once they had the perpetrators in custody and they were publishing photographs of guys like charles manson yeah then it was an international story for keeps for the next two years yeah Um, and the trial was the trial of the century yeah yeah it was oj size trial uh, for its time 